that should have gotten your attention. Today we turn to this, in the Hebrew Bible to the 11th chapter of Hosea. At this point, Hosea has had it with the nation of Israel, and he's trying to give them a little bit of encouragement, but see how it goes here, starting with the first verse in the 11th chapter. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities and consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me to the most high they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zilobam? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. And here in Luke, we continue in Luke, we're in the 12th chapter now so-called parable of the rich man, starting in the 13th verse. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to his disciples, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, 
You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, did you do it? Did you spend this week thinking about what you could do with $1.28 billion if you won the mega lottery? Anybody admit to that? I did. I did. What, like, what would you do with 1.2? Uh, by the way, Paul Limbert is here. If any of you need to know what the church's cut is on $1.2 billion, he will be happy to give you that 10% number. What would you do with $1.28 billion with a B dollars? New house? New car? I'm looking at all these bright young faces here. You'd just pay off your student debt and probably still owe something. (laughs) Gail and John and I were sitting at the riverside yesterday watching all these pretty boats go past. You know, maybe you could buy a nice boat. Paul, you could maybe buy a car. You could drive in the rain. Be good. I, I, would, um, I would fully fund the Wheeling Symphony Orchestra. I would, what else would I do? I would make sure that the capital campaign for the YWCA is complete. I would, oh, Laughlin Chapel would have a roof. And the city of Wheeling would get its low barrier homeless shelter, not in the fashion that the city espouses, but in one that might actually work. Oh, did I say that out loud? You know what would happen, though, if you won $1.28 billion? You would get phone calls from family you never even knew you had. Uncle Joe from South Mississippi would be calling you, saying, hey, do you remember me? And here's my good idea for what you do. Family dynamics are always an interesting thing. And one of the things that brings them out are change, is change. Right? Drew can tell us this well. Anytime somebody dies, the family dynamics in the crisis of that are magnified gloriously. You got a fussy sister-in-law, she's going to fuss even more. You got a brother who's got anger issues, he's going to be angry even more. Am I right about this, right? And so here's what we've got happening in this story. These 
the brother comes, and he's got to be the younger brother, and he says, Lord, force my brother to divide the inheritance fairly. Now understand what we think is fair in this day and age was not the same understanding of fairness then. Because in the time this was written, the younger brother would have only gotten a third of the inheritance, not half. The older brother would have gotten two-thirds, the younger brother would have gotten a third. But in this instance, it appears that the brother is not willing to give up anything. They have had a crisis. And the family dynamic comes out that the greedy brother wants to be even more greedy. And the whiny younger brother wants to whine even louder and even takes it to Jesus to say, Make him do this, Jesus. Now, this is tough here because Jesus says to this young man who seems to just be asking for justice, seems to be just asking for what is his right... Don't be greedy. I'm not your judge, and I don't want to hear any of this because I don't believe in greed. And he tells the parable of the so-called rich man, which is a terrible, a parable about what in life really matters to us. How important are your possessions to you? Where do you go with this? Now, Luke, throughout this section of this text, has given us all kinds of hints as to what we're to do with our money, with our possession, with our lives. And you have to kind of know that context to understand exactly what's going on in this text. But let me help you here. Jesus tells the parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. Pay attention to that. It wasn't the rich man himself that produced abundantly. It wasn't him that was working hard. It was his land that produced And he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? Pay pay attention to that. This man had so much stuff that the barns that he had that were full, he says, I don't have anywhere to do things. I don't have nothing. I'm just a poor old guy. I've got nothing. We had barns full of stuff. It's not true. And he devises his plan. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. Now, let me tell you something. As a person who has lived in farm country in Nebraska, I know what storage barns look like. I know what silos look like. I've walked across them and looked down into them and know how to rescue someone who falls into those grain pits and and has the danger of suffocating in their life's work, literally. The commentaries on this miss this because... 
They're written by academics, not farmers. But let me help you. If you have a barn here that is full of grain, you don't tear it down. You build another one here beside it and then fill it with grain. That's not the rich man's plan. The rich man says, I have a barn here full of grain and I'm going to tear it down so I can build other ones that will, that will hold all the rich and plentiful crops that I now have. Let me ask you something. If you do that, what happens to this barn and its grain? It goes to waste. There's nothing you can do with it. It doesn't say he's going to give it away. It doesn't say he's going to sell it and give the money to the poor. It doesn't say any of that. He's just going to tear this barn down and let it all go to waste. A good farmer would never do that. I can tell you what it looks like because the officials built two silos in one year next to the one they already had. Because you don't tear one down that's already full. But this guy, that was his plan. He was going to tear it down and waste what was there. Not sharing a bit. And so he has this conversation with his soul. And if you note in the scripture, soul is capitalized just like it's the most important thing to him. It's its own character in the story. If he had been smart, he would have replaced the word soul with the word God. Oh, I tip my hat. And he says to his soul, Soul? I have to pause here for a minute. When I was in college, there was a woman who was telling me a story about somebody else in college, and she was trying to make the case that this other person was kind of nuts. And she said, I was talking to her, and she said to me, My mind said to me, I should do blah, blah, blah. And the other person said to me, when she said to me, my mind said to me, blah, 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 I got really worried about her because, like, does she think her brain just talks to her separate from anything else? You ever known one of the, like, my, this personality said to me, very strange, like, it's a very strange thing for this guy to be saying, soul, here's what we do, soul. It's like you'd walk around saying, Debbie, what do we think about this? It's goofy. Soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. And remember that Shakespeare says, quoting this accurately, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. There is a place in biblical stories to celebrate great abundance from God. (laughs) 
But he's not celebrating what God has done. He's not celebrating with God. He's not even acknowledging that God has given him anything. He's just saying, eat, drink, and let's just have a good time. Because I'm going to get rich. And I'm going to store up all my stuff. So that when I need it, I can have it. And it will be all mine. You get nothing. And then God, at the end of this, says, You do all that, and if you die, who gets your stuff? The story flips back to the notion of inheritance. Do your sons get it? So they can fight over it as brothers, as we see in the beginning of the text. Do you even have anybody to pass that on to? Who is your community? Who are the people that inherit your good work? Who are the people that remember your name? It appears he will have no one. It doesn't mention him having any relationships with others at all. There's no one he, he, he sells his grain to. There's no one he gives away his grain to. No concern for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the alien in the land who can glean the property. As the Bible in Leviticus requires... He has, it seems, no relationship with anyone. And the text, you see, says that that makes you one who is not rich toward God. This text tells us something about how we must use our money and our possessions, what good they do in the world. But ultimately, the question it is asking is, what does it mean to be rich toward God? And note that in Luke, at least, the solution to personal abundance always has communal implications. It's not just that I build up for myself wealth that is never shared. But we've heard it already. To be rich toward God, according to Luke, 
is to use our resources for others, like we heard in the story of the Good Samaritan. To be rich toward God, according to Luke, is spending time with God, like Mary did in the Mary and Martha story. Do you remember me saying the last few weeks that what Luke is telling us is to go and do and to sit and listen? Those are the things we do to be rich in God. Ultimately, knowing that God is the one who provides all that we have. All of this that he built up for himself, you see, according to Luke, isn't really his anyway. God has loaned it to him To use in the best way possible. And Jesus says that best way is to not be greedy. Go and do. Sit and listen. Be rich toward God by selling possessions and giving alms to the poor. Jesus has much to say. Much, much to say about money and possessions. More, in fact, than any other topic in the entire Bible. And in Luke, he rails against greed. And he expects us to live out the ancient decree to care for others the widow, the orphan, the poor, the resident alien, those in need. And to love God with all our hearts and souls and minds. Thanks be to God. Amen.